Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and with me tonight in the studio, Zachariah King. Zach, how are you doing this evening? I'm, uh, I'm here. Good. Uh, that's it, huh? You're uh, here? That's, uh, I mean, that's not as good as you're going to get, but that's what you got right now. Let me say, I appreciate that you're here because it's easy to not be here. And it, it makes my life a lot more difficult <laughs> when people are not here. So I appreciate it. I know that it's not always convenient to no. come out no, you know, and do this podcast. The good news is you are only on the hook for 12 hours a year, which usually turn out to be about 24 hours in the year. Sure, but, but still, that's, there's a lot of hours in a year. Yeah. Yeah, so. there's plenty of hours in a year. All right, so what we are doing is we are talking about the or the topic for tonight is 20 questions. And we did this, I don't know, a month or two ago where we have over 100 something popular Bible questions. I found these. I literally went through and searched Google. You can search through Google archives and find out how many times these different questions have come up. It's all public knowledge. It's not hard to do. Hmm. Interesting. So that's what I did. I just did a search under the umbrella of christianity the bible god spiritual things stuff like that and then i just you know compiled the list and here we go so these are some of the most common questions people will ask yes yes somebody well they'll ask google is what they'll do so we're going to go over them you're going to ask me one i answer it you comment on it i ask you one and we just go through them and we try to keep our answers brief so we can get through a lot of stuff so that's all we're doing. So you were going to ask me the first question. I don't know what it is. I'm going to jump in and answer it. And then we're going to go from there. And I mentioned to Zach, we can come up with questions off book that are controversial and uncomfortable for each other. You love. See, here's the thing, though. Go ahead. I don't know that you were ever that uncomfortable about it. I'm not uncomfortable. I never get uncomfortable. That's a, See, that's, that, that really puts me in an uncomfortable position, Patrick. It's a more difficult position. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to ask a question if you're trying to make me uncomfortable. Uh-huh. That is so uncomfortable for you to ask <laughs> yeah. that you would probably be so embarrassed to ask the question. Yeah. That I would never you would never reach a point where oh, wow. I would be uncomfortable. That's what I think. Before we get into the first question, um, so my wife doesn't yell at me, please go to BibleThumperPodcast.com. Get on our Facebook page, get on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That helps get these videos out to more people. You can look us up on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, any place you get a podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please download it, share it, rate it, subscribe to it, like it, whatever it is. It helps us get these podcasts in front of other people. It's very important that you do that. So please go and do that. Visit the website. Help me out. That's it. Zach, yeah. take it away. Question number one. Well, you and I, um, I mean, when we get together, we like to talk about the Bible. Sure. So we got this list divided into different sections, but last time we were we were taking the Bible. Yeah, we did so we, we did at least four from the Bible that yeah. we looked at. <laughs> we'll have to look listen through that whole thing again to see what we actually did. Yeah. But last time we started at the beginning, mm -hmm. this time let's start at the end. You got something from the last page? Well, from the last page of the the section of the Bible, or the just number nineteen. 
Okay. On the first page, I think, probably. This one should be fun for you. Okay. Why is the Bible so weird sometimes? It's not. People are morons. <laughs> See, I didn't realize that was going to be right down Main Street on it, the first one. It's not weird to me anymore. All right. So here's what I'll say. So obviously, I'm just trying to get a laugh out of people. <laughs> you, well, you got me. Yeah. <laughs> Why is the Bible so weird sometimes? What the Bible is, it is counter-cultural. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite verses, we find it in the book of Isaiah. It's funny, whenever I get on a podcast, I draw a blank. So it's somewhere yeah, it's in between a, chapter 50 and the end of the, bu- and the book of oh, Isaiah. Well, that's not I so think bad. it's Isaiah chapter 55, but it says something along the lines of, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, as sure. the heavens are above the earth, or as the heavens are higher above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. I thought it was Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. That's my guess. You can look it up. I have no idea, but I know I'm pretty close there. But the point is, God explains to us, he, as if he's having a conversation with one person. He's saying, Zach, listen to me now. The way I think is radically different from the way you think. And he uses the analogy of, well, how high is heaven above the earth? Well, <laughs> you know, one of the heavens that the Bible talks about uh-huh. is where God put the sun, moon, stars, and planets. Well, they're real far away. Yes, they are. And God's saying, look... That is how different I think than you think. And the way that I do things are that different from the way that you do things. That's the reason the Bible seems weird is because Patrick Hayes, as a natural man made of flesh in a sinful world with the devil trying to push me to do sin, the world trying to push me to do sin, and my flesh has a literal desire to do sinful acts. Sure. Well, God doesn't want me doing any of those things. God has something better for me that has nothing to do with sin. So the Bible is countercultural. It is completely unnatural. It is, nothing that I would come up with on my own lines up with the Bible. Yeah. So that's why it seems weird sometimes is because what the Bible says is so different from what you and I normally want to do. And I explain, I'll just make one last point and I'll be done. I explain this to Christians. I say, look, if you are searching through the Bible for an answer to a question you have, so you have this idea of, should I do this thing? Okay. Should I partake in this activity? Should I, whatever it is. Okay. We always have questions because Christians, hopefully at some point we want to obey God and we kind of want to know what's acceptable and what God would say is on the no, no list. If I'm trying to figure out an answer to one of these questions and I go through the Bible and I'm like, yep, that's what I thought. Bible said exactly what I wanted to do was fine. You missed it. Okay, you did not find the answer because God's ways are not your ways. Whenever I'm going to the Bible to try to figure something out, it's never the way that I would have come up with it. It's counter-cultural. Everything Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, all of the Beatitudes, all all counter-cultural. So that's why the Bible is weird sometimes. Yeah. 
your thoughts. Well, and and not only countercultural, but also inside of different cultures from thousands of years ago, as well. There's weird stories like you gotta when Boaz goes to the city gate, mm-hmm. right? To to do the um, I can't to try to take the responsibility of taking Ruth and the land and Naomi and the whole thing. And the guy's got to take his shoe off because there's a, a nearer kinsman redeemer. I knew and you were going to go that you route. Know was, yeah. yeah. It, there's a nearer kinsman redeemer, but the guy doesn't want the responsibility of the land. And so he's got to take his shoe off. And mm-hmm. uh, that's just a sort of a fun and easy example of it takes work. And this is where we agree. Totally. It takes work to understand the perspective Mm-hmm. that the Bible is coming from yeah. because it is not mine. Yes. And so I have to, to do the work to, to understand the perspective that it's coming from. And so, yeah, if you just read it and you're like, Oh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's weird. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, you're, you're not in the proper frame of perspective to even to take it in. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, it's not trying to, to validate whether or not you think it's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not what it's doing something totally different and that was isaiah 55 8 9 oh it was it was okay good i i got it all right so that's your answer that's what you got it was a pretty quick answer didn't give me that long to look up my well next i mean I can, I can give you more about no things that's okay be, about but things my next weird. question because you didn't give me time and put the pressure on me it's going to come from leviticus chapter 18 it's going to be a sexual sin so let's just pick which one it is oh and ha- <laughs> have zach tackle it let's Great, see let's good. find one that has to do with family members let's see okay zach so let's start with zach how often should you pray how often should you pray uh paul says to pray without ceasing good very good biblical answer do you want to give us a reference for that mr spirituality mr spirituality second thessalonians 5 18 don't worry about it just keep yeah. going second Thessalonians. actually it's i think it's 521 i think 518 is abstain from all appearance of evil pray without ceasing is 521 we've, yeah we've I gone do? before both we've gone over both of those before either way either way second yeah. thessalonians 5 we de- I'm, we're, I'm pulling it up we're in agreement on that how, <clears throat> how often should you pray zach Pray without ceasing. That was your last point. Yes. Pray without ceasing, I think, would be number one. And again, that is countercultural. That That is backwards. That is unnatural. Yeah. Praying at all. Praying at all is. And I don't so, have time to pray. Yeah. Well, yeah. To focus, mm-hmm. to think about something different. To ask God his opinion and what I should do. To not rely on myself oh, yeah. so much to try to get things done, but to rely on him instead. You want to talk about something that's difficult. Praying without ceasing is a is a state of being. It, it is a way of thinking that is with the spirit rather than the flesh. Mm-hmm. The way I think you train yourself to do that is by picking up ways to pray, okay. by learning how to pray. Now, obviously, you can't say, you can't wander around with your hands folded and your eyes closed mm-hmm. twenty four hours a day. Sure, right? You can't. How many days can you go without sleeping? Mm-hmm. And well, but I'm praying. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to pray that is, if prayer is communication. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly what all your thoughts on are on Mother Teresa, but she has one interesting line. Mm-hmm. 
I think Dan. I, I, I like her about as much as I like Gandhi. Okay. I'm okay with acknowledging that there was some good in there their was life. Some good in their life. Yeah. I'm also okay that saying that Gandhi was one of the all time. I don't know, top 25 greatest racists I've ever read in my entire life. Interesting. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I've never read any of his stuff. Sure. but Well, he was from India. Mm-hmm. What do you think his thoughts were on the Pakistanis? If they were average. Okay. <laughs> for, <laughs> okay. for like the other people in the... You know, or the yeah. British who colonized them. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. go yeah, ahead. Sure, take your, sure. you know, take a, take a swing at that one. Um, anyway, go ahead. So I think she was on a, I think she was on an interview with Dan Rather mm-hmm. one time. And she said an amazing thing. She He asked her how often she prays, and she's mm-hmm. just constantly all the time. Sure. And he said, well, so what do you usually say? Because okay. praying is, is communication. Said, yeah. well, so what, when you pray before a meal, you sit and talk. When yeah. you pray at church, somebody's talking. Yeah, sure. So what do you say? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, mostly I listen. Mm. I said, okay, that's good. And, and so then he says, okay, well, then what does what does God say? Good follow-up question. Uh-huh. And she said, well, mostly he listens. <laughs> to have 20... Now, I, when I experience this in my life, mm-hmm. I think there are long stretches of just sort of thinking through things yeah. together with God. Mm-hmm. Or there's questions. He, he seems to be sort of direct. Mm-hmm. I'll be driving along and I'll be thinking about something, you know, I'll be working through Bible verses and I'll think about through a situation in my life and I'm thinking for 20 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. and he goes, uh, well, what about this? And then you got to stop and you got to rethink that's praying mm-hmm. when your mind is oriented toward God, toward his scriptures, toward his rules when you are trying to live in the spirit rather than the flesh, mm-hmm. there's communication that is open to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think of it like this, that you and Joanna go on a trip. Okay. Right? Now, this might be different for you because you can, <laughs> you can fill up some airtime. All right, go ahead. Right? Go ahead. What's, but, ask well, the question. I mean, let, let's say you're driving to... Denver? Two out, three hours? Long trip. Mount Rushmore. Okay, so a whole, that's more than a day, right? 12-hour drive. Okay, got it, yeah. If there were six hours of that where you were talking with Mm -hmm. each other, and there were six hours where, you know, the music's on, or she's taking a nap, or whatever. Yeah, we're just kind of looking out there, yeah. Aren't you in each other's presence the whole time, though? Sure, I get it. And so to pray without ceasing does not mean there has to be constant verbal there doesn't have to like, be constant dialogue. Constant dialogue mm-hmm. going back and forth. But prayer is like a it's an orientation of your heart toward God. Always ready to listen, mm-hmm. no matter what he has to say, no matter when he has to say it. Always ready to ask, no matter what it is that you need to ask and when you need to or or um what it might be mm-hmm. that you need to ask. And um so I think, yeah, the the answer would basically be always. And I also would just add quickly, the old Christians, the first generations of Christians, very clearly teach that one of the ways to develop that as a habit in your life Mm -hmm. is to have specific times. Mm -hmm. The Jewish people would do this, have specific times that you pray, have markers, wear things on your wrist that 
or your forehead mm-hmm. or have them on your doorpost yeah. that remind you to pray. Yeah. And when you know that prayer doesn't have to be, well, I'm, I'm running out of things to say after 12 minutes, so I guess the prayer is over. Yeah. If that's not the way it works, then you develop over the course of time yeah. longer and longer contact with the Father. And that is, that's one of the best things going. I, I've often prayed um, when, when I'm being thankful for things. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm thankful for most is prayer. Because I'm not convinced that he necessarily had to orient our relationship that way. I know that he wants to mm-hmm. because he's given that to us. But the capacity for us to speak personally with the creator of the universe, yeah, that's a gift. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you think about it, uh, well, let me just ask you this. How many sitting presidents have you spoken to? Zero. Okay, I'm the same. I'm, we're 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 equal there. I feel like you may have sent a couple letters though. I've sent letters. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm on some lists. Okay. <laughs> so, and I've gotten responses. Oh uh, wow! I mean, you know, they're form yeah, letters. Yeah, yeah, it's from, not. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a wet signature by President <laughs> anybody. Okay, so <clears throat> that's just the duly elected leader of the united states of america one one country on earth we're talking about the creator of the universe that who transcends time yeah and we have an audience with him anytime that we want and that we don't have to wait in line we can talk to him at any point and he stops what he's doing you know that's anthropomorphizing god a little bit he's not a human like he was you know busy you know (laughs) <laughs> yeah cleaning his shoes and he's like oh wait zach's like, praying yeah let me sweeping the no, yeah, oh, yeah. no i'll yeah, get to that exactly, later exactly exactly yeah. okay but god will you know quote stop and listen to us which is amazing you'd think we'd take advantage of that pretty often yeah so i definitely am more along the lines of i have set times to pray just to make sure that i'm doing it yeah and then I also have some reminders in my life to help me remember that I need to pray at certain times of the day. You know, in the book of, I think it was Mark, it said Jesus got up a great while before day and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. The way the Bible reads, it seems like that was his custom. Yeah. We find that Daniel, back in the book of Daniel in Babylon, you know, uh, went to his window and opened it up and prayed three times a day. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't pray more often than that. But he had those set times. He had those set times. So did the disciples in Acts. You got it. Okay. So it was just something that helped them to make sure that they got it in because they, like us, can be busy and get, you know, get uh, busy doing something and then they don't have, it's easy to forget. So I definitely do that. Um, I have a prayer journal. I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of that. Um, you know what? This is just asking how often we should pray. So I'll wait for... You've got other Yeah, other I don't questions. need to answer other questions as we go. So I'll just say that's what I do. Um, and then, you know, a good time to pray is uh, before you go to bed. It's another easy one. If you really want to improve your day 
uh, set your alarm and have a time when you just stop what you're doing and you get in a quiet place for 10, 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and you pray in the middle of the day, whether that's your lunch hour or like me, I just, you know, stop what I'm doing and I schedule it and I can just, you know, um, get on my knees and pray for a little bit. Those do make it easier as far as official you know, prayer times. Oh yeah, sure. Beyond that, I really like the idea that when I run into somebody that needs prayer and they're like, yeah, could you pray for me for this? I always say, absolutely. Let's do it right now. Yeah. You know, there's no like, what are we waiting for? Let me just, you know, let's, let's pray. So I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of that. Um, I think uh, praying as often as possible is wonderful. Uh, It can be very short. Oh so yeah, I've had prayers where uh, I fill up a water bottle and I'm like, you know what, God, thank you for clean running water. And a lot of people have never lived in a place where they didn't have it. A lot of people have never lived in a place where they had to go and pump it and then carry it back to wherever they were living. And let me do, let me tell you, you carry every gallon of water that you consume and all of a sudden every drop becomes precious yeah yeah so i've you know i try to remember should i drink this or shower with it yeah (laughs) and in the same way uh we break several times for meals Mm -hmm. um i think it's a it's a very important thing to do as a christian zach i i brought this up this is we're going in the weeds here but i just i thought it was such a great point uh, that I wanted to bring it up here again so I can get credit for it from some other Christians that are listening. So I brought it up to my church one day in the middle of a sermon about who knows what. And I said, you know, who thinks that we live in a Christian country? And, you know, most hands go up. And I say, okay, I say, this is what I want you to tell me percentage wise. Y'all go out to eat. Sometimes you go out to eat a lot, sometimes a little, but you're all out at restaurants here and there okay, what percentage of the people that you see out at restaurants bow their heads and are silent for a while with their hands folded? Pray for a meal. Praying for a meal. And almost everybody I talked to said, uh, about nobody. Almost nobody nobody. we ever. How often do you see that happen? I'm not talking about you and the table you're at. Right, because that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, other tables. All, All the other tables. Yeah. Okay. So rarely, rarely. Now here's my point. How, what's the percentage of people in America that say they're a Christian? Isn't it like 70, 80%? I mean, it's insanity. It it could be. Okay. So here's my point. Let's say it's half. Let's say half of America says they're a Christian. Do you see half the people at restaurants praying? No, you're lucky if you see one other person when you go out to eat at lunchtime. Zach, I don't you go see, over and talk to him. I don't see half the people at Chick-fil-A praying <laughs> before a meal. I That's mean Jesus chicken. Yeah. <laughs> I barely ever see it. And this is the point I made. I said, You're telling me that Christianity in America is so anemic that we don't even pray before a meal? I was like, that's the easiest. Yeah thing to do we have food we all collectively have a belief that god is the provider in our lives for everything we're saying we don't pray for 30 seconds well it's the the same we've talked about the percentages of people that read their bible oh yeah in a in a year in a year yep was it three three different times in a year or something like that yeah less than or greater than 50 percent of 
people who call themselves Christians open their Bible and read it three times in a year. Three times in a year. Yeah, if you read your Bible four times in a year, four different days, you wake up and you yeah. read a verse or two. You're you, above average. You're, in the, you're above average <laughs> as far as Christians in America today. So that was that was my point. So when we're talking about how often should you pray, uh, more than you do. How yeah, about that? Yeah, okay. that's a good one. Your that's, turn for a question. That's probably good for everybody. Um, I don't want to send you on a whole thing here. I'll keep it short. But, Go well, ahead. I don't know. This is question number... Given whatever. What are we on? Under what Question heading? number nine under the Bible. Okay. What are the theological and scientific challenges to the creation account? And what are the scientific challenges to evolution? All right. So, um, you know that I enjoy this topic and I study it a I lot. I do. I do. So, here's... here's let me Let me do this. Rather than give you a whole bunch of specific challenges, scientific challenges to use against evolution, which we can do. But honestly, folks, all you got to do is go to the Bible Thumper podcast, YouTube channel and Mm -hmm. Facebook page, and you should be able to find dozens of videos by me talking about these subjects, about astronomy and biology and all all kinds of stuff about creation. Right. So there's hours and hours of information with lots of colorful slides and Bible verses. And I mean, it's, it's so many slides. Yeah, so many <laughs> slides. So all that stuff exists if you want to do your own homework. So, but I'm, I'm not going to, you know, kind of bog down with that. This is what I'm going to bring up. So, Zach, what makes something scientific? What makes something? Well, hopefully it follows the scientific method. That's the exact correct answer. The scientific method. So the scientific method is very simple. You come up with an idea. That's your hypothesis. And then what we're going to do is we're going to test that hypothesis. Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. has to be a way to test sure. the, the theory. Uh, then what we do is we record the evidence. Now, we also, and this is kind of not really like an official point in the scientific method, but it's assumed that there is a way to falsify the theory. Meaning if if we test it again and again and again, and this keeps happening, we know the theory is not true. Whereas if we test it again and again and again, and it keeps happening the way we expected, then we believe the theory is true. So we we form a theory, uh, form a hypothesis. We we create a test for it that has to be falsifiable. There has to be a, a way to test it and a way to prove it wrong. We record the evidence. We might uh, redo the theory because we learned something, and then we're going to test the new theory. Right, right, right. And w- <clears throat> once we test it, you know, millions of times, and it holds true again and again and again by uh, lots of different people over a large period of time, we might go ahead and call that a scientific law. Okay, we have the laws of gravity. We have the laws of thermodynamics. We have Boyle's gas laws. We have laws in, in all the different sciences, okay? You know, a lot of them are physics. Or how about this? Physics is my favorite one. So that's, oh, okay. that's where those are the ones that I know. So, so we have all these scientific laws. So what you do is you find that anything that falls outside of the scientific method, what do we call that? If it is 
un, we are unable to test it. We are unable to falsify it. it we cannot apply the scientific method uh-huh. to it. What do we call it? Theoretical. Yeah. Or how about this? Supernatural. Oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. That too. So it is, be, it is beyond science. It is outside of what we can observe, test, demonstrate, so it is outside of the scientific method. It is supernatural. When God created everything, he did it supernaturally. None of us are arguing that God got out a hammer and a chisel and made planet Earth. Okay, he spoke it into existence. <coughs> Miracles are supernatural. By definition, a miracle is not something that we can naturally do. The, the way we heal uh, sick people today is with medicine. Okay, yeah. we use penicillin and we get rid of the infection we don't do it supernaturally can't we can't test it you got it yeah we can't test the miracle the miracle we can try but what we notice is that there is no way to replicate yeah we we don't come up with the same outcome we we can't do it yeah so what you find is that the evolutionary theory has a lot of things that are untestable uh, creation for that matter whether we you know consider the old model of the big bang okay can we duplicate that in a lab can we test it well if we can't then it's supernatural okay biological evolution where we see one type of animal produce offspring that produces another kind of an animal mm-hmm. Well, we can't do that. We never have been able to do that. Yeah. We can make cats that are, you know, black and white and striped and whatever, you know, short tails, long tails, you know, a variety of different cats, but they're all cats. Yeah. You can't turn it into something else. You got it. Never been able to turn it into something else. So they say, well, you need millions and millions of years in order to do that. And I say, okay, well, let me ask you this. If you took a frog and a little girl picks up this frog and this little girl just happens to be wearing a long, beautiful dress with a tiara because she's a princess and she kisses this frog yes. and it turns into a prince. Uh-huh. What do we call that? A Disney movie? Yeah, it's a fairy tale. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but in, if we replace the kiss and we take this reptile and we say, well, if we just add millions and billions of years... It'll turn into a human. Yeah, you call it science. You call it science. And you put it in the textbook and you tell kids that's where you came from. You don't need to be, you don't need to trouble yourself with silly little things like right and wrong and morality because we're just animals. So you see, the evolutionary process, it's a fairy tale. It falls outside of the scientific method. Now, let me tell you, you want to find a hard and fast way to piss off a strong, atheistic, evolutionary kind of guy, uh-huh. you tell him that all of his re- beliefs are religious because that's what they are. Yeah. Okay. They are supernatural. They are not founded in science. So as far as I, I think that's kind of the way, that's the general scientific challenge to evolution. And as far as... Um, theological and scientific challenges to the creation account there's no such thing as a scientific challenge to a supernatural event okay when when elijah you know was on the the mount carmel with the prophets of baal and fire rained down from heaven we don't scientifically challenge that 
Now, if we want, we can say, well, it didn't happen. That's impossible. Sure. But yeah, we all. But that's the challenge. Exactly. We all agree it's impossible. But none of us said that it's. I know that people don't raise from the dead. Yeah, exactly. I just think I did one. Yeah, I I think this one guy did. And I think this one guy happened to do it to other people. Yeah. Okay, I'm not saying that it's scientific. I'm not saying that I can do it. Okay, I don't think I can. I don't think anyone can. Right. And I want to leave it there just for the sake of time. There are a bunch of others, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got all kinds of stuff on there. All right, that was mine. Your turn. You don't want to... No uh, comments gonna, needed. <clears throat> I answered it so thoroughly. Well, I don't know if I would say that. <laughs> but yeah, you do have a lot of hours of stuff on this. Uh-huh. I actually find um, in the last five years or so, mm-hmm. I can say on the on the college campus and, mm-hmm. and even other places, I find the creation-evolution debate to be less central than it used to be what do you think is oh it's morality meaning purpose oh okay like why 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 would god even start the whole experiment so back to the four basic questions wrong. who am i where am i going when i die you know what's the point of life yep, yep. okay but yeah. i think i as as young people are becoming more and more lost in the world without any real purpose or understanding mm-hmm. um the method by which that world came to be mm-hmm. means less and less to them as until they can figure out what in the world they're supposed to do in it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, uh, okay. I, I, I feel, yeah. I, I feel a little, I might need to study up on this one a little bit more. Um, that's fine. I talk to when I'm talking to non Christians mm-hmm. about it, it's it's clearly just the back and forth about like here's what I believe and here's what you believe and yeah yeah I, I think you and I maybe have a, a, a different approach to those uh, <laughs> conversations mm-hmm. which is fine with the Christian guys I spend a lot of time discipling yeah my the way that I approach this story is pretty simply um, God spoke and it was there mm-hmm. and so. We need to make sure we're on the same page with that. Yeah. Anything that takes any view yeah. that takes God speaking away from it. Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, or even the we're going through Exodus right now mm-hmm. at, at heart. So, well, you know, you can get a swarm of locusts. Mm-hmm. Like we've charted it and here's how it happens. And sure. here's how they grow. Yeah. And here's a blossom and the wind blows in. And yeah. Like, fair enough. I'm, I'm not saying that yeah. you can't have a swarm of locusts. Sure. But what I am telling you is that yeah. the swarm of locusts that went to Egypt yeah. was created by God, yeah. taken there by God, you and blown it. back by God. Absolutely. And it's different from the others. Yeah. Like, God didn't use flying monkeys like in The Wizard of Oz. Right. He used a natural phenomenon. He used animals that already existed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you this. When I'm when I'm talking to non-Christians about creation, evolution, and the whole thing, I just go straight for the jugular. I say, give me your top three reasons mm-hmm. why you believe that we evolved. Just give me your top three. Okay. And yeah. if I can destroy them right now <laughs> in front of you in under two minutes, would you consider the fact yeah. that maybe there's you, another way? Yeah. Would okay. you think about it? Okay, Zach, what is a pastor? What is a pastor? Oh, wow. Look at you. Mm-hmm. That's further down the list here. Yeah, we're on to church number two. 
What's a pastor? What is a pastor? So a pastor, um, the word actually occurs really infrequently mm-hmm. in the New Testament, mm-hmm. almost always in the context of a shepherd mm-hmm. or a leader. Uh-huh. And so a pastor is a, is a... Do you do you take bishop as anything different than shepherd? I, I've heard some pretty decent arguments for... Mm-hmm. I've heard some pretty decent arguments against. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are, uh, I would have to pull up a book and start looking through the, it. And the only that, reason I bring it up yeah. is the King James word. It makes a distinction. No, uh, I don't think there is one. I think, but when they're talking about church structure, mm-hmm. they use bishop. Bishop, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, that's what the early church used. Yeah. The early church used the word bishop, mm-hmm. and um, which can get uncomfortable for a, for, for us an ex-Catholic years and years down the road. Yeah. But that's clearly the um, presbyteros yeah. is the Greek. I yep. mean, that that's the word that was used. Yeah. But their role was to stand. I'm not going to say you can't say stand in the place of God mm-hmm. or stand in the place of a priest. Mm-hmm. But their role in the priesthood of the body of the believers mm-hmm. was to be set apart in such a way as to lead them to God. Yeah. And that they, they were, they were highly revered Yeah, in the early church, mm-hmm. the very early church. I mean, they were, these guys were picked out by hand by the disciples yep. and like they're after fasting and prayer. Oh, for weeks. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these guys were, these guys were legit. Um, a pastor is not a CEO mm-hmm. of an organization. A pastor is a spiritual leader of a group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think so. If you if you just go to Google and you, um, you type up like uh, pastor pastoral qualifications, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, you can find some pretty interesting. <laughs> you can find some interesting things. Yeah. Um. You don't have to be charismatic, mm-hmm. like that. That's not. Uh, you don't have to be well spoken. Mm-hmm. Those things are both helpful. Oh okay. sure, never but, hurt but, anyone. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, but you you don't have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be good looking on camera. Mm-hmm. You don't have like. There's a lot of things that people are looking for that aren't really what a pastor does. Um, but a pastor is a spiritual leader of people. Uh, I think they make disciples. Uh, I think they are the spearhead of a of the church Mm -hmm. that is meant to be, there's meant to be other leadership involved, but they're the, they're the point person for that. Um, there, there's a lot of different sort of like, um, you know, key points maybe I think to a pastor, but one of my favorite books Mm -hmm. is called, uh, working the angles. It's by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And if he was to break down what a pastor does into into six sections, it's a triangle. I remember you. Yeah, you, you brought this up. Yeah, this. go ahead. Yeah. So the lines of the triangle are, are what everybody sees, mm-hmm. and it's church administration, right, which everybody knows about, preaching, teaching, mm-hmm. and that when when you're like church hopping, when you're looking for a church, yeah, that's what you go in and see. You listen to the guy preach. 
is does this place run on time does mm-hmm. the music work yeah. who's the tech guy sure. how many chairs are there yeah, yeah. do we eat like you know do the lights work yeah that's all church administration type or at least the outworking of church administration stuff. Mm-hmm. teaching and preaching what does he preach what does he teach what's the website look like what books all of that the angles then he says are sort of the hidden part of the triangle and he calls that um spiritual direction mm-hmm. which is like when you would sit down with a couple or you'd sit down with a person and they have their questions or individual questions and you help them work through that prayer which is we've already touched on that and the scriptures like bible study mm-hmm. in group contexts small group contexts individual context but those are sort of the six things that that incorporate what a pastor does even though those aren't what you see every day yeah those angles aren't what you see every day mm-hmm. but if you got a pastor who's not praying and not studying the scriptures yeah. and he's not meeting with anybody to counsel them sure it's obvious then, the church is going to be dying on the vine yeah well and you've got another you got another question on here like what is a preacher mm-hmm. which may be may lean a little bit further in that direction like there are traveling teachers sure who they're not going to sit down with somebody for coffee 12 weeks in a row yeah and work through their marriage or, yeah um so that's a pastor what they are what they do there's a million other things it's a complex job sure but um but i think that's paul if paul was interesting i think paul was much more of a missionary mm-hmm. uh, not that he couldn't have been a pastor but, and, and but, i think he probably took on that role in a lot of the churches yes. while he because he was he was absolutely a missionary yes. okay he was absolutely a church planter yes and I think whenever he went and planted a church, I think he absolutely acted as the pastor, especially early for on. years yes. while he was training up the people. And then when someone was ready, they ordained this person. They took over Paul and a group, some that he traveled with for a while. And it seemed like some newbies that yep. he just picked yep. up that showed promise. They would take off to the next city 50 miles away and they would repeat the process. And as he traveled from place to place, mm-hmm. as those leaders grew, he would plant people yeah. in a place yep. and say, you aren't traveling yeah. from place to place to spread the gospel. Yep. You are now yeah, he part of this. He clearly was a fan of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you are the bishop yeah. here. Yep. And, and he would leave um, not only that one person in charge, but a few people from group. the group. Yep. Small group. Yep. To people. help them. Yep get going okay uh, can i jump in absolutely so uh the bible answer in first timothy chapter three mm-hmm. is um i think you know uh what zach said a uh, spiritual leader you know uh, obviously agree with that um i'm gonna say uh the leader of the local church okay oh, so yeah, sure, sure. you know um just to give everyone that understanding that there you know there are groups um sometimes obviously today in america many in any city or town or what have you um and each one has a leader and that is uh the pastor pastors talked about as a shepherd as well uh feeds the flock Mm -hmm. um typically the pastor is going to be the one that um you know uh teaches the bible and delivers those message messages he is uh, supposed to be the number one 
servant of that group. Uh, Jesus explains that with his church. He shows what leadership looks like. Mm-hmm. You wash the feet of everybody else. Um, uh, like you said, uh, so he loves the people, teaches the people the Bible. Um, I'm going to say is the number one, I want to say... Uh, cheerleader of the people you've mentioned that one before which i kind of like yeah i i you know a lot of people so and this is if we move further on down you're in first timothy i'm in first timothy um oh and i think i need to be in second for the next verse that i'm looking for so uh we read about you know reprove rebuke exhort preach the word Mm -hmm. be instant in season out of season so when you are exhorting people, you are acting as a cheerleader. Okay. Yeah. You are also, I'm going to say, um, you are the judge. Okay. Joanna and I were just talking about this. There is no, the office of the bishop, which we today call the pastor, is clearly defined in the in the Bible for a new Testament church. Okay. There's somebody that, um, we go to who's in charge. Okay. Who we go to for answers. What is not written in the Bible, but is absolutely a position is the pastor's wife. Yeah, sure. That (laughs) she's, she's described. Yeah. In some places. (laughs) You got got it. Yeah. 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 That is a, position because and i told my wife i said sweetie look think of the women in our church how many of them when they have an issue are going to start by coming to me (laughs) okay a lot of them will start by coming to you yeah just because you're a friend you're someone in leadership you're someone that they you know look up to or admire and they they feel like they can trust you and they want your opinion and I said, and she was, she was, she brought up the idea that, oh, you know, it is really difficult to tell people what the Bible says because it's not what they want to hear. And she was talking about one friend. Join the club. Yeah. And that's what I said. I said, sweetie, you just described being a pastor. I said, if everyone liked what you told them, you're not doing your job. Your job is to teach them what the Bible says. And unfortunately, the Bible, as we already talked about this evening, is countercultural. It goes very much against what we want to hear and what we want to do. But our job is to teach people what the Bible says because that's what God wants them to do and that's what's best for them. And my wife has gone through it specifically, I hate to say it, but a lot lately with divorce oh okay yeah. where she's talking to women and trying to help them keep their marriage together and um you know sometimes successfully sometimes not successfully yeah but uh nobody wants to hear <coughs> you need to stay married yeah and she's like i don't really have a whole lot of wiggle room there like that's what it says so if you want to hear something clearly different, objective one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go to the break room at your work. 
and talk to somebody else. Oh, they, they'll tell you what you want to hear. Okay, but don't come to me and ask that. So the pastor is someone who is uh, the judge. The judge doesn't, he's not the one that hands out good news. He rebukes, right? Reprove, rebuke, exhort. It's great when it is just nonstop exhortation, exhorting this guy and exhorting that gal over there and this family. You need some exhortation? Great. Okay. But I hate to tell you, that is not the life of the pastor. The life of the pastor, a lot of times, is trying to help people through difficult problems and the solution is not an easy one you know for the parents with the wayward kid well the solution isn't bury your head in the sand and keep ignoring it that's not the solution right right right. that's the that's the beauty of being the 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 shepherd Mm -hmm. situation though when you've built trust Mm -hmm. people will listen absolutely and and so they're Mm, yeah will might be a strong word it's not like a hundred percent sometimes i can say if somebody trusts me i can say can i tell you something you're like pete rose didn't bat a thousand uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a, but um there's a lot of churches to go to mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that move around yeah to a lot of different places because yeah when something is said you can go someplace else and but yeah if you um if everyone is sinful uh-huh and it's the job of the spirit mm-hmm. to show people, like to, to convict. Yeah. And it is the job of the pastor mm-hmm. to bring the words of the father through the spirit to the people. Yeah. Then a healthy sh- church yeah. should have people being convicted in it. Yeah. Fairly regularly, I would say. Wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, that was mine. So let me let me. Uh, I, I don't think we did this one last time. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't uh, think you and I have talked about this one much. Okay. Um, how does the Bible differ from other holy books? I think we did this one last time. Did we? Yeah, I think so. Can we? Can you give me another one? Because I'm concerned. I'll, we I'll we'll look you, it up and yeah. we'll we'll circle back to that one next time. I got no problem with that because okay. I can. Uh, yeah, if you've already answered it, I'll go back and listen again. I think I really think we talked about that one. I sorry hope so. To, yeah, I know sorry. what I would say because I, I would say um, primarily Jesus, mm-hmm. and then also the number of authors over the length of time. We absolutely answered. We talked about I that. Get, okay. Yeah, okay. because yeah, give me another one. Sorry. Uh, now you're on the spot. Well, no, that's fine. Just I throw can, a dart at the I can, wall. And... I can find something here that's okay. not too hard to figure out. Um, this one might be one that you like. What is the fear of God? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good one. What number? So I can cross so it off that's just gonna be... under God. What number there? Um Got it. Number six. Yeah, here's yep, our yeah, number okay. six. Here's our good radio moment. Yeah. For the we always, I always create one of those someplace. Okay, what is the fear of God? So the fear of God <clears throat> mostly is going to come down to what we would think of as reverence and respect. So in the same way, uh, the Bible actually talks about a judge being someone not only a judge, but the government being someone that's supposed to be for you. 
That now that <laughs> but they are Patrick. Yeah, yeah, don't. That's what the whole campaign is about. Yeah, you got it. The FBI, <laughs> the FBI shutting down bake sales <laughs> since because they're 19, for me, man. Yeah. Um. So the idea is that the government and the powers that be are supposed to be for you. Now, Jesus preached this. Paul talked about this. It was hard to swallow because they're like, well, they're the Romans, you know? <laughs> yeah. So they had some trouble with this. But the idea was that those authorities were put in place for your benefit. So if you go back to Moses in, in those days and the judges, they were put in that place to be a blessing to the nation of Israel. So that was the idea. So you had a a healthy fear which was a reverence and a respect for the people in the position of authority because they had power but those that yielded it justly yes those were the ones that you trusted and you felt brought you comfort and safety so the idea behind god is that god is the perfect judge he is the perfect lawgiver he is the perfect father. But with those things, I do not believe that any father is doing their job if their children do not fear him. Now, there's a difference between fearing the boogeyman, okay, yes, which is yes, total yes. fear, no trust, no comfort, no anything, and the understanding that my father who loves me more than anyone else in the world and wants the best for me also is willing to yield the rod yeah when i step out of line and he does that to protect me yes so that's the idea of having a fear of god is knowing that god is there for you god loves you he is your father he is the perfect judge the perfect lawgiver he is uh your great provider he is also our king he is our savior and we should fear god because of how powerful he is and his might and his ability and his hatred of sin yeah so we want to do right because we love God, we want to obey God, and we want to do right because we fear the retribution that we can feel from sin. There's no blessing in sin. There's only yeah. cursing. There's no yeah. God doesn't bless sin. That's not how it works. God has natural and supernatural consequences for sin that obviously supernatural one we could probably call natural ones as well but we call them curses and those are to make sin less attractive so that we don't do it and we obey god because that's what he wants so god um tells us not to touch the hot stove and we are young enough where we you know i'm not sure if we want to really listen to god in this one and then we go walking over to it and raising our hand to the hot stove and god grabs us and gives us yeah. a swat on the backside uh -huh. and says no and uh then uh we are kind of hesitant to go and touch that hot stove again so we have a fear of god now we know that you know this person who in our life was our father yeah. also feeds us and clothes us and protects us from you know 
and we run to when we're scared because yes. he is the provider and the protector and it's wonderful but we also have this fear where it's like man i don't really want to cross this guy because you sure. know he's got this wooden paddle and he knows how to wield it so that's the fear of god it's never supposed to be a trembling fear where we don't ever want to see the person because uh god is capricious or god is cruel or we just never know what we're going to get from god that's not god god's actually very clear he's like i tell you ahead of time yeah well, exactly yeah. what's going to happen so that you can avoid the bad stuff we god should be the one where we can uh walk in to the presence of god and see god and be relieved and glad that we're in his presence and the one thing a lot of people don't understand is this concept of long suffering oh man god does not god is not waiting for us you know to reach into the cookie jar so he can smack our hand it seems like god lets us go through dozens of cookies before he comes down with a heavy hand yeah. to correct us he wants to use every resource available to try to get us not to steal the cookies before the heavy hand of the lord comes down you know and rains fire because that's not his desire his desire is that we obey but you know carrots don't always work and sometimes yep. we need we need sticks even in the the exodus story uh -huh. the, the plagues oh yeah where we've been warned before we get there yeah that god is going to harden pharaoh's heart mm -hmm. that he's that everybody is know get the israelites are going to know that he's god mm -hmm. the egyptians are going to know that he's god the people in the promised land waiting for the egyptians to show or for the israelites to show up yeah are going to know that he is god and so it's 10 plagues and you're like man that's a that's a while but he in each set of the three i figured i, I learned this um in the in the there's three sets of three mm -hmm. before you do the death of the firstborn mm -hmm. in each of the three the first one he meets pharaoh moses does he meets pharaoh by the water in the morning mm -hmm. in the second one he goes it says he goes into pharaoh to to meet with him yeah the palace or his house or whatever and then the third one comes with no warning mm -hmm. so he goes and meets pharaoh by the river turns the river to blood he goes and meets pharaoh at his palace mm -hmm. uh frogs uh, then all of a sudden gnats everywhere mm -hmm. and then after the gnats he goes back and with the flies he goes back and meets him again at the water mm -hmm. and he does that whole cycle three times mm. and then you get to the last one which is the firstborn it's like look yeah we've gone through we've this this isn't this. <laughs> you know what's going to happen yeah you it's getting worse and worse you know what's next i warned you what's next and yeah he he does um he does the same with us and it's a good thing he does he's so patient with us okay zach i wanted to ask you now we're, we're we're getting real close to an hour so i was wondering how long of a question do i want to yeah. you know go for yeah how long do you want to try to do okay so how about this why does it matter 
if Christians go to church? Can't you just be a Christian at home? Well, isn't your church the creation? Lord God, <laughs> he made it, Patrick. Yep. I I love creation. Mm-hmm. I just got back. We took the youth group camping mm-hmm. this weekend up, mm-hmm. up at Dave Blam's place. You've mm-hmm. been there? Yep. Killed a couple deer up there. Yep. Youth had a, I almost did, too. Uh, <laughs> Driving? Yeah, did it with a car, though. And so, yeah. Um, but... Uh, I've got three answers. All right. So why can't I just be, yeah, a Christian off by myself someplace? Yeah. Well, you can believe that Jesus is Lord mm-hmm. by yourself. Yeah. So you can be born again. You can be born again. Yeah. In a jail sure. cell. Yeah. Solitary absolutely. confinement. Solitary confinement by yourself stuck there. Um, when you start talking, though, about how to live a Christian life. How do you love your neighbor as yourself mm-hmm. if you have no contact with people? Mm-hmm. If, if your stated goal is to ignore them, how do you spread the gospel? Mm-hmm. How do you evangelize people? Yeah. If you're, well, you know, my religion is kind of, you know, personal. I keep it to myself. Um, that no big deal. Other people can do whatever they want to, and that's cool. Um, you If you don't have relationships, you, you can't live a Christian life. It's commanded mm-hmm. that we get together. Yeah. Right? Oh, so, I, you don't have to convince yeah, yeah, me, Yeah, I don't buddy. have to convince you. Yep. It's commanded. There's several places where that goes on. Um, if you were to just think about the, um, the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So as a believer, you believe that. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's true. He is Lord. He is King. Therefore, go... Make disciples, baptize them. Hard to do that by yourself. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I have obeyed. I've commanded you. Teach them to obey all of I, all that I've commanded you. How are you going to teach people? How are you going to be taught? Mm-hmm. If you just like, well, you know, I listen to podcasts and this and that. Sure. And so do I. Um, but the and this is my third point. That was one and two. I think very clearly, starting in Genesis 2, God's plan for human beings is community. Mm -hmm. He found that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So he made Eve. The family. He made the family. Family has kids. Mm -hmm. Families are adjacent to each other. In um, the, when the the Holy Spirit comes on the church at at, uh, Pentecost, Bunches of people gathered together. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit. There's teaching. Yeah. There's people baptized. There's people that are saved. Mm-hmm. And then immediately, before the end of the chapter, mm-hmm. they are together sharing meals. Yeah. They have fellowship. They're devoted to the teachings. They're devoted to prayer. Mm-hmm. Every day, it says they were together at the temple and at each other's houses. Yeah. The. And then you get to Revelation. There's people from every tribe, tongue, language, nation, all together in one place, mm-hmm. praising God. That the goal of Christ, of God's relationship with us as humanity, and our relationship with each other, mm-hmm. is to live in community. Yeah. 
I think isolation is one of the things, one of the easiest weapons that Satan can use against us. So let's say, let's say you're an average Christian. Mm-hmm. You've read your Bible four times yep, in, in, the the, in, the, a... in the past year. Okay. Uh, you know, I kind of like to do my thing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, how often are you going to be exposed to sin and evil that takes that that makes that relationship with God less strong. Mm-hmm. When you're by yourself in no community and nobody knows that it's happening to you, like, well, I'm a believer. Well, good. I hope so. Yeah. But the way to become sanctified, the the way to grow into maturity in Christ, is clearly in a larger group of people. At Ephesians four, you, there's. It's hard not to. It's hard to read the Bible and find places where. No, there are moments. Yeah, there's solitude. There's sure. Elijah in the cave. Yeah. There's Jesus yeah, 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 going yeah. off by himself. When he goes off by himself, he then comes back. I'm I'm with you. And yeah. and Zach, let's not let's not kid ourselves. The people that think that being a Christian and going to church doesn't matter are not the people that are reading their Bibles sure okay sure (laughs) i mean it's everywhere you know i was just thinking of one where it says you know the older women instruct the younger women well how do you do that unless you're in fellowship with you know you're around (laughs) don't don't you think part of this don't, don't you think part of this question though crops up from there are some people who are who are truly devoted to jesus and just have a difficult time finding a place to be, mm-hmm. to fit in. Church, churches are weird too, man. Oh yeah, they're filled with people, and you have personal conflict. It's not. Always, I get that. Sure. It's not and, always easy. And so, the, one of the questions is like, you know, maybe I would do this better by myself. Yeah. And it's like I get that if you're in a spot where it's like, yeah, but Zach, I've been in this church for eight years, mm-hmm. and there's 120 people. And none of them want to follow Christ sure. as much as I do. I'm yeah. like, I, I feel for you. I really, really do. Yeah. But I still think the Bible is clear that you need to do it in a group of people. Well, and you know, one of the things it teaches you is how to get along with other people. Sure. If you can't get along with other Christians in your church, how are you going to be any good for God? You know the other thing, outside yeah, of the building. Sure. And the other thing I tell people too is, are they are they saved? Like, oh yeah, yeah, uh-huh. they're saved. I just like you're going to spend eternity with them. Yeah. But what? Yeah, <laughs> heaven isn't a solitary. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be a lot of people there with all sorts of interesting things going on. Yeah. Um, of course, it'll be without sin and death, and so you sure. get some perks. It'll make it a little easier. That helps. Um, but yeah, like you, if if the if the point is like, well, I can't stand people, like, uh, God can. Yeah, yeah. The whole point is to be around other people that we can bring to Jesus, then train up and teach about Jesus and then help them to go back out and find others. The the whole thing is about people. That's what the Bible is about. That's what church is about. That's what Jesus and the gospel is about. It's about people. And I think it's, it might just be a cop out. 
for people that don't want to change, that don't want to learn how to grow and get better at things. I'm not very good with people. We'll figure it out. <laughs> it is hard. I'm not saying it's oh, not. People are weird. But okay. Yeah, but you're but right. You come on. Yeah. 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 That's part, you know, we're Christians. We're, am I a fully grown man? You're telling me I can't learn how to do this? <laughs> like, you know, I guarantee you there's five things you do at your job that I couldn't do right now. Sure. I don't know what it is, right. but you have skills that I do not possess. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Okay, well, you're smart enough to learn those skills. Guess what? You can learn how to get along with people. Yeah, yeah. It can okay, be- so I'm going to take you to First Thessalonians chapter 5 to answer this same one. Why does it matter if a Christian goes to church? Uh, we read, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. How are you supposed to edify one another? It says comfort yourselves together. Together. This whole portion of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is talking about the way we are supposed to behave in a group. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Oh, labor among you. We're talking about, yeah, the people that, you know, work and serve in the ministry and are over you in the Lord those that are in authority in the church and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Plural. Plural. Yeah. This is what Paul is calling us to do as a church. We can't do any of these things if we never go to church. How do you encourage someone? How do you, you know, to use the Bible word, edify someone in the Lord? How do you comfort another, you know, uh, person? And everyone's like, oh, well, I get together, you know, with Christians. Okay, first of all, that's nonsense. You get together with one or two people that happen to be a Christian. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't mean anything. Right. You can can be in a church, whether it's with 20 people or 100 people, there are people that you're supposed to get to know, and God put you in the place to be a help to that person. There are people that come to my church where I would have never ever met them yes and god uses me to help those people god uses different people in my church to help each other yes if they weren't in that local body the local church which jesus formed yes that we are unable to do so much of god's purpose the whole idea of going out into the world and helping you know, the lost world and getting them to come to Jesus. Great. That's wonderful. That's absolutely a part of it. But there's also supposed to be a place that we can get together that is supposed to be separate from the world and we can get a shot in the arm, so to speak. We can be encouraged. We can be reminded of what we're supposed to be doing. It can be a safe place. It is the, where else do you hear preaching, Zach? How often do you hear preaching throughout the week? Now, that might not be a good question for you or me because we listen to podcasts sure, because sure. We, we preach ourselves. So but we if like I don't it. go looking for it, it's you got not it. just around. Okay, where else do you uh, find a time when you get to sing songs about God with other Christians? You ever do that outside of church? Never. Doesn't happen with many people. No. Okay, so we go through all of the things that happen at church, and it's like, we don't do any of these things outside of church, and everyone uses the excuse, and it's a stupid cop-out. Well, I get together and fellowship with other Christians. No, you probably talk to other people that happen to be Christians. You're not doing the things 
the Bible says you're supposed to be doing with other Christians. And by the way, honestly, the biggest thing, we didn't even touch upon this. The one thing that you 100% avoid that God mandates needs to be in your life is an authority. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. We didn't well, even touch on that. So this is a this is a particularly American yep. question. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there there is a there's a double edged sword to freedom, mm-hmm. and we talked about this some this morning as well in Galatians. Yeah. For freedom's sake, you've been for, set free. Yeah, don't then use your freedom mm-hmm. for your fleshly desires. Yeah, but rather to serve the church. Yeah. The church is a body. Mm-hmm. Everyone's members of it. Yep. You got that whole thing. In the early church, I loved this. Um, the, the very, very early church, it had two parts to the service. The first part was open to everyone. Mm-hmm. And there was preaching and there was teaching. And they, mm-hmm. there was, was often very few or only one copy of the scriptures. Oh, yeah. Someone would stand up and read it and, and, they, would, and they would preach. Um and so, but everyone was was welcome to that. And then there was a point where if you had not confessed faith in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. they very graciously, yep. I'm sure, said, "Thank you for being here. Yeah. We've enjoyed it so much. You know, here's where we're going to be. Yeah, and take some food home. Sure. But this next part, this next part is, is for, for the us. redeemed. Yeah. yeah, and they would leave." Mm-hmm. And that that's where they would do commute or Lord's Supper, and yep. they would do um, baptisms. Mm-hmm. And the one of the reasons that in the early church in Rome there was a rumor that spread that the Christians were eating babies, like killing and eating babies, yep. because they were rescuing um, abandoned infants mm-hmm. and bringing them into the church. And then there was this whole business about the the body and the blood. Yeah. But nobody who was in the club could know what it was. Oh, because no one Cause stayed no, behind unless you were part of the because yeah, unless you place. were born again. Right. So no one got to see like what are the what's this Lord's Supper thing that they're doing right. so with they're the like, body and the blood and eating of the flesh a, yeah. and drinking the blood and everyone's like uh They're picking up all these babies and they kick yep. us out. Mm-hmm. And we can't see what's going. And there's this body and the blood thing. They're just taking the Lord's Supper yeah. together. But it was like we're the believers, and yeah. this is what we do together. Yep. So Lord's Supper, baptisms, um, yeah, having an authority, mm-hmm. which of course, I mean, nobody wants to have an authority. Over. Well, and that honestly, that could be a whole hour that we do sometime. Church sure authority. Could. Yeah. Sure could. Okay, man. I gave you a question. You want to give me another one? Let me let me give you one more. Yeah. <clears throat> I got into that one. I wasn't looking to see what I got. What's what's next here? But I, I bet you, I bet you. I can f- oh, you, l- let me do a. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me get out of the total wheelhouse a little bit. Th- but you know what? Um, you love Ezekiel. Yeah. How 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 about this one then? Who was Ezekiel, and what is the book of Ezekiel? Okay. Yeah. Let me and let me I, give I, you the. I I admit that this one is purely for my own personal, <laughs> my own personal enjoyment. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Ezekiel. A uh, couple things to know about Ezekiel. He was. Okay. So in five eighty six B C, uh, the 
Babylonians came. So Nebuchadnezzar, who was not the king of Babylon at the time, he was the general. His father was the king who was living in Babylon. General Nebuchadnezzar came back from a campaign in fighting wars in Egypt. And on the way home, he just stopped on by to Jerusalem and surrounded Jerusalem and laid siege to it. As you do. Yeah, as you do. So what Nebuchadnezzar did was he laid siege to Jerusalem and he ultimately uh, got in the city and he took with him, he robbed the temple blind. He took everything but the ark and the mercy seat and he took a whole bunch of slaves and took them back to Babylon uh, with him and the first deportation was Daniel. Now, the thing to understand, and this this is misunderstood by so many people, and it, it, it's just a detail of history, but, it, you know, the, the history part of the Bible isn't taught that much because we're always so focused on Jesus loves you. Which he does. Wh- which he does, sure, by the way. Sure, Thank sure. you. Thank yeah, you, yeah, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a great drop-in. <laughs> there were actually three sieges. So during the first siege, uh, Nebuchadnezzar did not destroy the temple or the city or the walls or anything. Took took some of the, like the young. Took the slaves. Oh, the slaves. Yeah. Well, not, he didn't take slaves. He took people from, he took some of the Jews and made them slaves. And he took some of the best and brightest. And one of them that he took with him was Daniel. Was Daniel. Okay. Sure. So he goes back to Babylon, and what he does is he sets up a vassal king. So this king, although he ruled over Israel, he was under the Babylonian rule. So he wasn't a sovereign king. Right, right, right. So then this king, who was Josiah's grandson, Josiah was a king in the nation of Judah, who was king, his son was king when um, Nebuchadnezzar... um, Okay. King Josiah, the king of Judah, the southern kingdom of the nation of Israel, was put in charge to be king by Nebuchadnezzar. He leaves. Over a little bit of time, that Jewish king decides to rebel. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar comes back, laid siege to Jerusalem again, and this time he takes away more people. And one of the people he takes away in the second deportation is Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is brought to um, a agricultural area outside of Babylon. Daniel serves in the court in Babylon. But Ezekiel is taken away, and Ezekiel is a prophet who prophesies to the Israeli slaves who are living in Babylon, and they live in Babylon for 70 years, and then they are going to go back to Jerusalem. God mm-hmm. already foretold that prophecy that they're going to, and he foretells that prophecy specifically in the book of Jeremiah. So Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, I know I'm giving you several prophets, even though you only asked about one. Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah were all contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Daniel and Ezekiel were much younger than Jeremiah, but it is absolutely logical that they would have heard Jeremiah prophesy and and preach. Uh, Ezekiel mentions Daniel by name, I think, four times in the book of Ezekiel. 
And Ezekiel was a very strange prophet because <laughs> of what God made him do yeah. and what Ezekiel talks about. So Ezekiel talks about, first of all, the idea that uh, we are not going back to Babylon right now. And those that, I'm sorry, we are not going back to Jerusalem right now. And those that live in Jerusalem are not going to be okay. God is using Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon as the hand of God's judgment. And we are not going to escape it. Jeremiah was preaching the same thing back in Jerusalem, and he was not popular. Ezekiel, who was a priest and a prophet, Ezekiel prophesies a lot about the millennial reign of Christ. He prophesies about the thousand-year period of time that is coming when Jesus is going to be on earth, when David will be resurrected and he will sit on the throne of David and rule from Jerusalem with Jesus over the entire world. Ezekiel talks about what I think a lot of people, but I call the fourth temple. And that is important because if you understand anything about the the temple, it was very important to the Jews. The first one was built by King Solomon after they after um, they got into the promised land and they fought off all the bad guys. And you go through that period of time and then they start with the kings. Uh, after King David, his son Solomon built the first brick and mortar temple. Prior to the brick and mortar temple, they had what they called the tabernacle. Which was, it was just a tent, but they still did all the sacrifices and performed the Levitical priestly rituals in that tabernacle. So now they have a brick and mortar temple. What ends up happening is Nebuchadnezzar, during the third siege, when he dest he destroys the temple, destroys the city, destroys the walls, takes everyone captive, and just lays waste to Jerusalem, um, at that time, the first temple is destroyed, but what we find is later on, at the end of the 70 years, the nation of Israel is allowed to go back uh, they're allowed, the slaves are allowed to leave Babylon and go back and they rebuild their temple, which is the second temple. So they rebuild that they rebuild the city and they rebuild the wall. Now that second temple remains until the time of Christ. And Jesus as a baby was brought to that temple mm -hmm. and was dedicated. He saw that temple several times every year of his life while he was growing up. The temple was always there. It was a big part of his uh, life and his ministry and then in 70 AD the Romans come in under general Titus Vespasian and he comes in with Roman legions and they level the temple they laid siege to Jerusalem and they destroy it and they kill millions of Jews and that's when uh, that was in 70 AD about 30 35 years after uh, Jesus died on the cross and all the Jews just uh, disperse all throughout the world and the Jews don't come back until May of 1948. So they come back shortly after World War II and they make themselves a nation again, but they don't have a temple. Now, the interesting thing is that a temple is required for the 70th week of Daniel. Most people, and I'm just going to use an incorrect term because it's one you've all heard of, the Great Tribulation. Okay, yeah. seven-year period that people miss label as the great tribulation during that time in the very middle of that 
seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to stand up in the temple and stop the sacrifices. Well, that's very exciting, and that'll be a very interesting, you know, day. We'll we'll wait to see that one on the news. But there's no temple currently. Yeah. Which means that in the city of Jerusalem, a temple needs to be built. And let me tell you, the Jews aren't really the most popular game in the Middle East right now, and they're not even the most popular game in their capital city of Jerusalem. So they have to build a temple there, even though there are lots of bad guys that don't want them to have a temple. The crazy thing is that Ezekiel talks about a fourth yeah, temple. Yeah, that's the third. You got the third needs to be built before the, that's the one the Antichrist is going to stand up in the middle of. Ezekiel prophesies about a fourth temple. He prophesies about this temple and he gives very, very specific measurements dimensions yeah the the amount of words used is similar to what goes on in exodus absolutely with the the tabernacle gives a tremendous amount of detail to the point where someone will easily be able to follow these instructions and build it sure but the temple is so wildly different yes from the first three which are which really the the second and the third are just a rebuilding of the first yeah so there's it is so wildly different that the rabbis almost didn't include portions of Ezekiel's prophecies into the Bible and consider it the canon because they said, this is nonsense. But they said, when Elijah comes back, he will clear this all up for us. But but Ezekiel spoke it. Okay, the prophet Ezekiel spoke it by the word of the Lord. Uh We will include it, even though we have no idea what on earth he's talking about. So we have this fourth temple, and we have a discussion of the millennial reign. Along with that, Ezekiel has a battle that is just one of my favorite portions of Scripture to explain. And the reason is this battle talks about technology that is going to be used that doesn't exist yet. He talks about technology that does exist today, but did not exist even a hundred years ago. And he talks about technology that doesn't exist yet, but you and I are on the verge of seeing for the very first time. He talks about nuclear warfare where when we gather up all the weapons of our enemies that are laid dead on the battlefield, we will actually be able to use these weapons as a power source that will power our country for seven years. Now, Zach, back in Ezekiel's day, you could gather up as many spears and swords and shields and bows and arrows as you wanted, but I have trouble believing you could yeah, burn them all. You, yeah, if you're burning you them got for, it. For, yeah, for, for heat for and for heat. fuel, for your cooking, I doubt you could make them last seven years. But today, with the advent of nuclear power and fusion and uh, hydrogen power, with all the things that they're learning and doing right now, we see that the idea that there being a weapon that could be turned into a power source to power the nation of Israel could absolutely 
um, be a possibility. Now, for those of you that are wondering, Patrick, where is all this you know story? <laughs> Go to Ezekiel uh, thirty-eight and thirty-nine. You'll be able to read about uh, about this battle. Along with that, the Bible says, and I don't have my Bible with me, so this is all from memory. So forgive me if I skip over a little bit of it. The Bible says that when after the battle is over, anybody that is walking through the area and sees so much as a fragment of a bone of one of the enemies, they are not to touch it. They are to mark its location with what seems to be like a flag, okay? Kind of like you see where sprinkler heads are so people know not to, you know. And a special group that is a hired group from another country has to come and pick up those remains and bring them to a special place that happens to be downwind Okay, of civilization and dispose of the body part in a special way. Now, if that doesn't scream that yeah, it is a radiation. nest, yep, nuclear uh, nuclear emergency uh, situation. To, I forget what it was there. Oh, nest. Yeah, okay. yeah, nuclear emergency. Yeah, situation. there's there's an acronym or two that is not coming to mind right now, but a nuclear emergency response team of you know some sort. Okay, so the Bible explains all, it, it goes over all of this. So he has prophecies that are, many of them that are yet to come, which are very interesting, but they're also just kind of wild he, as far he as. is a bizarre read. Yes. Well, it starts off with him sitting by the side of the river mm-hmm. in Babylon and God shows up. On a chariot, maybe yeah. that's carried by like these four yeah, creatures these that we've creatures, these we, beings. They're not described anywhere else in the Bible. It gives us details about them that doesn't make any sense to us. Of course, we're, what we're doing, and 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 again, forgive me for just throwing this out there and not giving you any background, but he's describing ten-dimensional beings. Okay, that that's the oh that's the problem is we live in a four-dimensional universe. We have length, width, and height, and then we have time. And we are bound by four dimensions. We live in a 10-dimensional universe with four dimensions that are knowable and six that are unknowable. There's things going on that we can't see. You got it. We can't see, and that's where spirituality comes in to play with angels and demons. Okay, they are in a different plane that we are not going to be able to understand or see other than us being allowed that gift like um <clears throat> elisha is at some point in second kings i can't remember the yeah, story yeah. okay so elijah it, or sorry ezekiel is trying to describe these things in the book of ezekiel and a lot of it is just like you know sure. it's over our head i mean and, poor guy what are you gonna say yeah how do you yeah. just yeah, how do you paint how do you paint that picture how do you draw that diagram so People always, if you become a Bible teacher and a preacher, you're going to be asked about these chapters sooner or later. Oh, yeah. And my answer, for the most part, has been, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, this is what I. This is what it seems like, but I have no idea what he's talking about, you know, with this. But he is describing God and the celestial beings that are, that are with God. So, anyway. It's a fun um, read. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Uh, Ezekiel is one of those books where, realistically, if you're not going through it with the help of a preacher or a commentary or something, 
it's kind of easy to just get lost in the weeds. It's not a book that is a historical story so much like we see in a lot of other books. Jonah is a great example. Sure. Okay, Daniel, for that matter. Although there is some specific prophecy that's, you know, a little bit out there. You know, it reads like a story. The book of Genesis is another one. Anyone can pick up the book of Genesis, read from chapters 1 to 50 and learn a lot and be like you know what i get the story i understand now where the jewish people come from and this was very helpful and very entertaining and and it helped me you know understand a lot ezekiel is on the other side of that coin where where in the book of genesis there's like man there was this one part here and this couple parts here where it's like i have no idea what they're talking about ezekiel's the other one where there's a lot of material where it's like i don't know i i've read several chapters and i'm still totally lost yeah and then it gets back into the story of ezekiel you know living in i forget the name of the town i want to say it starts with a ch anyway i it, well that i know that's the name of the river he was near but shibosh or yeah yeah shabar yeah anyway so Canal. i don't know how much anyway that helped but that oh, I, is a ezekiel is just fun yeah and so yeah i wanted to i wanted to hear your your thoughts there i am currently studying through the book of ezekiel with my wife oh nice okay yeah so we have a couple nights a week where we spend a little time going through a Bible study and we are going through the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel. which is great because we do it at the end of the day when she's already getting a little tired. And then, you know, she's like, if you don't, it's one of those Bible studies where it's like, okay, go. Yeah. (laughs) Where it's like, I am paying attention I am not looking around. I am not listening to anything going on. I'm ready. Okay. Taking notes and got, wait, what? Rewind. Okay. I got it. (laughs) You are focused on what you are being taught here because there's just so much information. And if you don't understand the history of what the Jews just came through and what's going to happen to them after their time in Babylon, you know, you're, you, 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 you can just get lost pretty easy. I hate saying that. I'm not trying to sound pretentious. Like It's not like, hard to yeah, do. Yeah. You just have to be consistent and yes. disciplined I'm, with it. I'm just saying yeah. out of all the books in the Bible, it is not the easiest book sure. to study. That's sure. all I'm saying. Right. There are lots of books that are super easy to study. Yes. Ezekiel is less so. Yeah. 48 chapters. Like yeah. It's a little bit more of a commitment. It's a long one. Yep, Isaiah, same way. You got to commit to it. You got to mean it. You got to stick with it and yeah. keep after it. And what I always tell people, too, is after you go, once I've studied a book two, three, four times, yeah, that we're doing Exodus. Yeah. You know, we're preaching Exodus. It's not like I don't know the stories. Yeah. But as I study it, though, and I hear a couple of different things, I'm seeing things every day mm-hmm. that I'd never noticed before. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. The first time I did Ezekiel, mm-hmm. I got to the end of it and I was like, yeah, there's three months of my life. Yeah. I'm never getting back. Next. <laughs> but I'm reading Matthew because oh, yeah. like, help me. Yeah. You know, and it took years before I really went back and tried again. Yeah. Um, 
And that's, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily, if I could do it over again. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's the way I would do it. But yeah, it, it just takes commitment and time and you just you plug away at it. Yeah, Ezekiel is one of those where I'm never going to recommend that a brand new Christian start out with it because, right. you know, you're there's just, this is the way you got to remember. Every time you study every book, get out of it what you can. Yeah. And don't worry about all the stuff you can't. There's lots because of stuff it's where eternal. Yeah, God is going <laughs> to reveal more as you go through the Bible, and more will make sense. I always look at every book as a buffet. Okay, when I go through the buffet line, there's some stuff that is just easy. It's like yeah. fried chicken. Yep. <laughs> okay. That will be all my. You place. got it. I, that's an easy one. I know what I'm getting. It's and it's like let me have some of that, and it's like okay I don't know what that is, and I don't know what it smells like or what I'm supposed to put it on or does it yeah. go with you know yeah. is, is, do I put that on a plate or in a bowl or you know right. do I need chopsticks or a fork? So there are, there are more things like that, and it's like you know what I'm just going to start by getting all the good stuff I can. And then it's okay if I don't understand every single thing my first pass through. Absolutely. I'll learn some more later. That's that's fine. Absolutely. Okay, so that one was specific Bible stories number seven. Who was Ezekiel? Yep. And I'm gonna have to roll. No, that's fine. But that was that was that was good. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the Bible Thumper podcast where somebody's gotta say it. Please join us every Sunday night. And that by that I mean Almost every single Sunday night, we start at 7 p.m. sharp, and by that I mean pretty close to 7. Please find us on a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, share it, like it, it helps us a lot. Get on the Facebook page, get on the YouTube channel. You can email me at BibleThumperPodcast at gmail.com, and I will get your emails. We appreciate having you on here. We appreciate those of you that are watching and those of you that have commented as we have gone through this. And uh, we'll catch you next week. And remember, if you're ever in Grand Junction, Colorado on a Friday night, our church gets together at 6.30 p.m. and right, right in downtown Grand Junction. And you can get on our Facebook page and find the address and the whole shebang. And we've had people actually show up and visit our church from this podcast. And that's always a blessing when that happens. It doesn't happen that much, but, you know, it's neat when it does. So we appreciate you all joining us and we will uh, catch you next week.